This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my life and I didn't really have a care in the world, if I'm honest. And then came breast cancer. This is the second series of the podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. And it's for you if your life has been affected by breast cancer and for all those around you who love you. This edition is for people who are going through the experience of pregnancy or having just had a baby and then they get the life-changing news that they have breast cancer. I have three amazing guests, as you will hear, so I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Hello, everybody. Uh, so my name is Pete Walroth. I'm the founder and CEO of a charity called Mummy Star, which operates across the UK and Ireland, supporting families who are diagnosed with any form of cancer, either during pregnancy or any time up to 12 months postnatally. My name's um, Jenny Rattray. I am a GP and a medical advisor at Mummy Star, I have three little boys and I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, during my um, second pregnancy with my twin boys. Uh, my name is Victoria Ekenoy. I'm a singer and an actress. Um, I am currently still recovering, I guess, from my surgery and taking medication at the moment. I was diagnosed in October with uh, DCIS, a little bit of a development, um, had my surgery in December. And now, hopefully, I'm on the other side, and looking forward and upwards. Where did we first meet, Victoria? Was it in the ladies' toilet somewhere? It was in the loo, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and I think it might have been Pride of Britain right. or NHS Heroes. It was one of those mm. two. Um, and I think initially we clicked because someone introduced us to each other and we had the same first name, mm. and then we got chatting, and then we were up. We have to, we have to have a talk about things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. I think it was maybe a year or two. Yeah. Right. I'm going to ask you, how are all of your kids? Um, tell us what they're like. Tell us how they're turning out, Pete. Um, tall, <laughs> getting grumpier. <laughs> um, they're all they're all good. So my um, my daughter is now nearly thirteen. Um, she was she was three when my. My late wife, Maya, was diagnosed back in back in 2012, nearly, nearly 10 years ago now. Um, and our little boy, Merlin, um, who was 10 weeks old, sadly, when we lost Maya, is now nine. Um, very tall, very active. Um, you know, both children doing really, really well. Um, and I suppose the, the reflection back on what our how our life was, was, you know, was ultimately shaped by the diagnosis that Maya received 10 years ago has, you know, it's always been an open subject and the they're doing well in terms of their well-being and they know that it's a it's a subject that we you know is very open in our household and they know it's something that we're essentially we're surrounded by on a day-to-day basis because of the the evolution of the charity i guess over the you know over its light its short lifetime so far yeah my um three we boys are just doing amazing um my um little boy alistair who's six um and was about three when i was diagnosed um he sort of has an awareness of of what I've been through, but he is a happy, outgoing little boy. And the twins who were on board sort of through the um, mastectomy and, and chemo 
um, and that had just turned three a couple of weeks ago and are just amazing. They're completely sort of unscathed by what they've been through. It's it's just wonderful to see. Victoria, how's Theo? How old is he now? <laughs> He's 15 months, um, which for me has flown by. Um He's just the busiest little boy. He just is into everything. Um, I don't think we'll ever stop eating as much as he does now. He has a five-course breakfast, which blows my mind. <laughs> um, he he was actually six months old, and I was breastfeeding him when I found a lump in my breast, in my left breast. Um, so thankfully, I'm really grateful that he won't be affected um, long-term in in any kind of way that you know he will remember what happened what was going on how it felt for everybody um he'll be spared that which i'm really really grateful for um but he has definitely been our little shining light you know our little beacon of hope because it you know going through that also during covid was a really testing time and and actually having a baby during covid as well so the whole the whole thing um has been tough but having him has been uh just it's, it's been the focus point for all of us pete when you introduce yourself when you say the words my late wife maya now i i know your story i know about your charity as many people will but some won't and when you say those words it's it still feels really shocking to me mm. what about to you um, yeah, especially especially this year, um, because it's you know 18th of June 20, 2012 is it is a day that's that's you know it's always going to be etched in my memory for the, the most vivid reasons. Um, but I think I suppose for, from a reflective point point we we started the charity a year after her diagnosis to the day because I wanted that date to be to be something that was remembered as something positive, you know, where where a change began where you something was, you know, was created to be able to support families who might find themselves in this situation. And and I'll use that, I suppose, an odd choice of language, but families who might find themselves in a position less fortunate than myself and Maya were. And by that, I mean, yes, we had this devastating diagnosis and we had all the concerns and the worries that, you know, that many other women, you know, Jenny and Victoria included, having a diagnosis like this. But we had family around us. We weren't isolated in terms of our community, in terms of our support network, whereas many families out there aren't. They don't have that that um you know that that wider network to be able to have that support from and to be able to listen to and understand and you know whether no matter what your circumstances are no matter what your means are cancer a cancer diagnosis hits everybody in in you know in every way shape and form and i just you know we we always wanted to whether it was myself or some of the medical teams that were involved in the setting up of the of the organization that had been part of of you know of myers care team over the, the pregnancy and postnatally it was that I suppose that determination to make sure that a family in this situation didn't feel how we initially had at the time, which was why only us? Surely this doesn't happen. What is cancer and pregnancy or what is, you know, what, what do you do when you're, as Victoria mentioned, you know, you're nursing a baby and all of a sudden diagnosis like this is suddenly thrown in front of you. How do you know to react? How do you know there's other support out there for you? Maya was pregnant with your second child when she found a lump in her breast. She was 41. Um, did she think it was something to do with the pregnancy to start with? Yes, yeah, yeah. We, we because we we breastfed our our, our daughter Martha until she was about fourteen months. So 
the natural reaction when she started feeling this this dull ache was that it was you know possibly a, a blocked milk duct or um, you know just some other form of breast change you know as her body was preparing perhaps to feed again and um, you know any any of the number of changes that the body goes through during pregnancy. So we did put it down to you know to it being a fairly innocuous change. Um, and but it was nonetheless it was just mentioned to a midwife um you know following a sonography appointment where we'd we'd had our scan we found out we were going to have a little boy um and it was just mentioned in passing to the midwife and the midwife just said well yeah you're probably right it probably is something innocuous but i'll you know i'll, I'll refer you to the breast team just in case just to get it checked just for reassurance and like i said we didn't think anything of it and that was and then two weeks later the, the 18th of june um you know sort of unfolded in the way it did where that lump was even, you know, immediately on physical examination before a biopsy was even done. The, the consultant immediately knew, what, you know, what they were dealing with, and um, you know, later that day, further confirmed the nature of the diagnosis that she'd, she'd, um, you know, that she'd been given. Victoria, Jenny, as you're listening to Pete, what are you, what are you thinking as as Pete is talking about what happened ten years ago? I'm really emotional, so I think you should maybe speak first, Jenny. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm. Not, I've heard. Um, Peace story um before um and yeah I mean it it makes me feel emotional too and it makes makes me feel very fortunate that um my lump um was was sort of treatable and things didn't unfold in, in the way it had done, I mean, throughout and still that's my biggest fear is that, you know, leaving the, the, the children and, and, you know, how I would cope with, with that. And it kind of takes me back to that diagnosis day as well. Victoria, you went to get yourself a tissue. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <sighs> I'm just obviously as Jenny said, incredibly grateful that, that, that my diagnosis turned out the way it was, but I'm just so overwhelmed, I think, with sadness for you, Pete. And I know, you know, it's been a long time, but it's probably still fresh for you all the time to talk about it. And just thinking about how, you know, that would be for Johnny and Theo were that to have been our situation um it just it really does knock you off your feet and i think you're right the support out there is just paramount it's for the people that are going through it but for the people that are potentially going to be left behind um or even dealing with it with you you know if you if you're lucky enough to to be able to fight it i guess you know people feel it's it's tough to have to fight cancer, but it's much better than not being able to be given that option, you know, mm. in the case of your lovely wife. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you and your family. Um, and yeah. Martha, Martha was three, I think I'm right in saying, Pete, and Merlin yeah. was ten weeks old. Ten weeks, yeah. So what do you tell Merlin about his mum? Um, it's it's 
it's been a, a kind of an unfolding narrative, if you like, because obviously the, the difference between him and his sister is that she has some memories that she had, you know, she has time, she had experiences, you know, one of the common things was always remembering going to see Brave um, in the cinema, still one of my all-time favourite Disney, um, <laughs> because it shifted the stereotype so much. But it was that was her collective memory, whereas Merlin's was obviously, he was 10 weeks old, he didn't necessarily have that time. But what I've always been keen to to share with him is the limited memories that that I have of his time with, with Maya was one of where even though she was you know she was quite unwell at that stage there was times where you know he was you know he was just an eight week old a six week old he couldn't be soothed he wasn't having any of it from me even though he was spending loads of time with me and you know even when she wasn't physically able to do much just literally laying him on Maya's chest and he would just like instantly he'd be just soothed and he'd be asleep in minutes and i'd be there thinking how do you manage that you're not even doing anything but it is that you know it is that that, that mother mother child bond and yeah i think some true. of it is to do with skin the power of skin to skin it, you know with 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 you know with with parents full stop but it was that ability for her to you know to be able to soothe him um just because he knew he knew who she was and it's the reassurance to him to say look even though you had limited time with her you did have time nonetheless and mm -hmm. It might, you know, I, I, I do use the phrase fortunate in our circumstances. And I know I appreciate that might, might sound a bit perverse sometimes, but I think it's the fact that I've always reflected on it that we could have been diagnosed and we might have had to do what some of our families at Bumby Star sadly have to, where we might not have been able to proceed with pregnancy because of the nature of what that cancer was threatening to do. And we, I could have lost both of them ultimately, but I didn't. I, you know, I've, I've got Merlin and, you know, Merlin, he's... You know, he's he's that lasting legacy of you know of our choices to you know to grow our family and you know we were able to um you know to see him born and you know he was a your healthy baby boy um so there's yeah i think i've always looked at the small the small gratitudes that are i, I you know but i always appreciate that it's harder to see that from the outside in mm. from then sort of drawing on those 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 small um you know those silver linings you know in in what you know what, what is ultimately a you know, a tragic story, but, it, but yeah. What it, did it, Maya it, say? She said, if she said it the, when we, when we told her that she was, that when she found out that ultimately the, the diagnosis had actually become, you know, very, very suddenly had become terminal. She, she, while myself and her sister-in-law were kind of in bits at the end of the bed, she was a bit kind of like, I don't know what's up with you two. You know, if I, if, if it's my, if it was my purpose in life to have two wonderful children, then so be it and I'll die happy. And, and I think that phrase, that, that single phrase for me has, has probably carried me in so many ways through the last 10 years because it's always been the perspective of, well, if that was her, that was how she saw life at that moment in time, then how, how can I possibly not carry forward that, that sort of, mm -hmm. that approach to life and, and, and for the, you know, for the purposes of, of, you know, raising the children as well, you know, with that ethos in mind. I mean, you talked about gratitude, Jenny, and you, Victoria, mm -hmm. but Jenny, in terms of, in terms of when you were diagnosed, just tell us a little bit about the choices you had to make between what was best for your husband and son and what was best for your unborn twins. Yeah, um, I mean, when Pete was talking there about, you know, the the silver lining um, being the timing of the diagnosis um, and, and and things that exactly um, sort of rang true with, with me when... I was um, diagnosed, so um, I was sitting in the the um, waiting room, feeling like I was just wasting everyone's time being there, and I was going to get told off um, for attending the breast clinic 
whilst you know what with what might be a pregnancy related lump um and they did the ultrasound and I I sort of knew then and there that from the way they were talking because I'm a GP that it it was cancer and I didn't really have much experience of cancer in pregnancy and the immediate sort of thoughts running through my mind was oh my god you know we've tried for ages to have this pregnancy and we've just found out it's twins and now you know I'm gonna have to think whether I terminate that pregnancy or um, continue with it and potentially then not be here for my other son Alistair and and my husband Tom Um, and you know I was then sort of put back in the waiting room um, to to then sort of look up on Google and and um sort of literally the worst know, thing you can just, do as you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but but luckily you know I did find oh right so chemo during pregnancy might be a, an, an option um mm. and uh you know they were just sort of still trying to say to me oh you know don't don't worry yet until there's something to worry about you're not being diagnosed yet but you know I I knew I knew as soon as I felt the 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 lump really um but yeah, I think such a, a scary time and, and, you know, because it is something that's thankfully quite rare, there isn't that knowledge around it, even amongst health professionals. So it's it's a very scary sort of choice to be faced with when you're kind of plodding along already kind of worried about looking after a twin pregnancy. Absolutely. I mean, that's enough, isn't it? It really is enough. But then <laughs> yeah, we thought to get so. a cancer diagnosis on top of that. Um Victoria, you'd had Theo mm. and you mm. knew something was wrong, that, but the first two opinions mm-hmm. gave you essentially the all clear, nothing to worry about, but you pushed for a third. Why? With me also being a patron for Prevent Breast Cancer, we do you know, what we can when it comes to raising awareness and raising funds. So I've spoken a lot about it, uh, spoken to the professionals about it quite a lot. And I think I just, from what they had said, from the family history and from how it felt and looked, because you could visibly see it when my breasts filled with milk. It was like a little uh, marble just just poking out and it just didn't feel right to leave it. I mean, I went for two uh, two scans, two ultrasounds, and they, you know, they the first one kind of said, well, we think it's just a fibroadenoma, benign lump, we think you're fine with that. The second one actually said, we can see some small calcifications, but we think it's more to do with... Because I was producing so much milk and I'd had a little bit of trouble with that. And they were saying, you know, why don't you um, kind of massage the breast as you're feeding to help with the flow of it. Uh, Do that right up until Theo is a year and then wait one month and come back and we'll do a mammogram. Because obviously it's difficult to visualize, sorry, to see everything with all of the milk going on in there. So they actually, and, and Theo at this point by the second by the second uh, ultrasound, that would have meant waiting another six months, mm-hmm. which just didn't feel right for me. Um, so then we came back to visit family. Uh, I actually then went and worked away uh, filming Death in Paradise, and I found a second lump whilst I was on set, just in the corner. I was just like, this is a bit, and I found it, and I had to just go and take myself off to a room for 10 minutes and just try and get myself. In a, in a different headspace, just put it aside. Um, and then when I got back, we came to the UK to visit family. 
and I went to see my GP and they have this incredible service called the One Stop Breast Clinic, um, which I'm sure a lot of people know about. For those that don't, uh, you can go and if you are symptomatic, they will have an appointment ready for you within two weeks. And at that appointment, you have everything done that you need. So I had obviously a physical examination, um, a <clears throat> an ultrasound, a needle test in my armpit because they found a inflamed not, uh, nodule. Um, and two biopsies in each of the lumps. And at the end of that, I saw the consultant and she said, look, I am worried. And so I went back a week later and, um, and that's when he told me I had, and jo Johnny came with me then because I told him at that point, my partner, and uh, they said I had DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ, which actually is, is it means that the, the, uh, the milk ducts have turned cancerous or that the cells within them. And but they said it was contained because that's what it is. It's not uh, stage zero technically. I think is that right, Jenny? Yeah. Um, it is stage zero. Um, and so they said so. There's no like immediate immediate rush to get you into surgery, but we do think that given the size of it was a four centimeter mass at the time, mm. uh, given the size of uh, you and also the the mass, we would do a, a mastectomy. Um, and a reconstruction at the same time if, you, if, if that's what you want. Uh, I then had to speak to my hematologist because I have sickle cell and I can't have surgery um, really be under anesthetic for any longer than 30 minutes without having a full body mm. blood exchange. God. So 10 days before the surgery, I know I wasn't expecting that. That was going yeah. to be a curveball for us. But 10 days before the surgery, um, which was the 7th of December, so eight weeks after diagnosis, I had a full body blood exchange. They took all mine out, replaced it. And um, it felt a bit odd, but also it was kind of a, I was just really grateful that it was even an option, you know, because God knows how long ago that wouldn't have been an option. Yeah. And it then could have been quite a, you know, different outcome. Um, and then on the 17th of December, I, ha I actually decided to go for a double mastectomy because I just don't want to live the rest of my life worrying if it's going to appear in the other breast or you know um and so I had a double mastectomy and uh lymph node clearance they received they, they removed seven lymph nodes and then um they tested everything and then came back and told me that they'd found micrometastases in two of the lymph nodes in my armpit and a small microinvasion in the left breast separate to the DCIS um, which actually floored me more than the diagnosis itself because the diagnosis itself was it's just this you take it out you probably won't need chemo radiotherapy any drugs this could be curative but this actually meant that it was on its way around my body to do cause whatever damage it could so I'm currently on tamoxifen uh, which is a one tablet uh, every day for the next five years which will actually what it does is it inhibits the receptors on the cells please correct me if I get this wrong Jenny um, but it inhibits the receptors on the cells from um, receiving the estrogen because yes. my breast cancer is estrogen receptive and positive um, but I also now I'm waiting to have a call with my oncologist because uh, because the type of breast cancer I have is makes up 
1% of all types of breast cancer. And because it's so rare and they're unsure about whether any, you know, rogue cells did get around, they want to kind of also kind of go a two-pronged attack. So I'm also going to start providing I, um, I guess, respond well to this drug, another drug called gazerolin or gazerolin. Um, that will be an injection once a month, again, for five years, and that will turn my ovaries off to stop the my body from producing estrogen. So essentially, it's going to put me through the menopause at 40 years old with a one-year-old baby. <laughs> so that's going to be an uphill struggle, but I'm just, I know it's a lot, but I just feel so grateful that mm. we caught it as early as we did and that all of these options are available, yeah. you know, with the NHS that we have and and my incredible support network. Jenny, let me ask you about your treatment when you were pregnant. When did you start chemo? And how many weeks pregnant were you at that point with the with the twins? With the chemo. So um, because I, um, so when I was, by the time I got the diagnosis, I was about 15 weeks um, pregnant. And um, you can start chemo sort of as soon as you're into the second trimester. So around that kind of time. But Can I just pause you there? Sorry, Jenny, before you tell me about sure. chemo. So you're 15 weeks when the chemo starts. So at 12 weeks, have you started to tell friends and family you've got you've got twins on the way? I mean, what I'm asking is, uh, you know, at the beginning of a month, are people saying, oh, my God, congratulations. And then at the end of the month, you're telling them you've got cancer and they're going, oh, my God, I don't know how to react. Yeah. So it, it was... Um it, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. And then there was um, a lot of people that I just didn't tell about the, 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 the cancer. Um, because? Until much later on. Well, I told all those sort of really close yeah. um, people, but I just, because I was then kind of off work and um, caught up in things, I just didn't really want to deal with people's sort of sympathy if that yeah. makes sense um so um yeah it was it was quite crazy and I had felt I felt the lump when I was about 10 weeks pregnant um and so by the time we were telling people about the pregnancy and um, I already you know had that appointment at the one-stop breast clinic that Victoria described um lined up so um you know I told my work colleagues and we were sort of discussing you know all right well so when will you be going on maternity leave and things and I was thinking well I'm not really sure what's going to happen next week once I've been to this appointment so it it was really tricky but again it was just that focus on at least you know I was just so grateful that I had the pregnancy to be able to kind of have that happy um parts to, to sort of focus on yeah. because it's a it's a balance know, it's a counterbalance isn't it to the to the cancer yeah. diagnosis yeah and if I'd felt that lump sort of two months earlier then you know obviously I wouldn't have gone on to continue to try to conceive and and then that would have been my family done so mm. um yeah, it's 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 tricky, but the chemo. Um, so they gave they get actually gave me my mastectomy first because they wanted to wait until I was a bit further on with the twins and make sure that they were growing and developing okay. 
Um, so I had the mastectomy when I was about 18 weeks pregnant um, and then went on to have the chemo from 21 weeks um, onwards. Till, till what? Birth? Yeah, so I, I had my last cycle um, two weeks before they were born. Um, they wanted to leave two weeks to then do the section. So they were born around 34 weeks. Gosh. Um, so let me just get this right. I, Sorry. You, yeah, you're, sure. you're diagnosed at 10 weeks? Diagnosed at, at um, 12, uh, about 15 weeks by the time they kind of confirmed everything okay. and got all the biopsy results. Mastectomy back. at 18 weeks. Yeah. Chemo onwards every few weeks until 34 weeks or 32 weeks. Yeah. Then you give birth to twins at 34 weeks. Yeah. They they were in um uh That's one heck of a timetable. Two weeks. Oh my and god. Then, and then we got them home for a week, which actually yesterday was three years since we got them home. Mm. And that was just the most wonderful week. And again, it was that strange thing. So we announced um to everyone you know we had twins and they were healthy you know once we got them out of hospital um and then a week later I went back into um the chemo unit to then do the second three months of of chemo um so that was really fun (laughs) two newborns and a three-year-old Pete let me ask you I mean Jenny used this phrase she she didn't tell some people because she didn't want to cope with their sympathy or pity I I mean, how were people around you dealing with a pregnancy? I think it was similar with Yeah. bit of baffled. I think, you know, celebration, you know, similarly, we I think, probably started telling people from about 15 weeks onwards and then this ache started. But again, you put it down to something something and nothing and then there is that there's there's you getting your own heads around the idea of what's what's about to unfold and that but i think what caused does the greater stress as a couple was the idea of right well we can deal with this because we're right in the middle of it we don't have any choice we're not peripheral whereas it was the idea of how on earth are we going to tell um you know how we're going to tell my parents how are we going to tell maya's mom when she herself had had a diagnosis of breast cancer years ago and had lost a sister to breast cancer herself, even though there wasn't a genetic link. You know, my family had, my mum had lost her sister to, you know, ovarian cancer years before. And, um, oh, sorry, she actually, she'd actually you know, lost her own sister only only four, four weeks prior to this, following a diagnosis about 20 years ago. So it was that kind of unfolding, how do we cope with other people's worry and stress and concern? And I think when we, I think we, we tried taking a pragmatic approach to it, which was all we can do is tell people, how they respond is out of our control. Mm. We can then have to revert back to how are we going to actually piece this together over the next few months. And I think, you know, Jenny described that that cycle of chemotherapy during the, the remainder of the pregnancy up to you know, that, that point where you're, you know, where that clinical decision is made to sort of bridge that gap between chemotherapy pre and postnatally. Um, it was just setting a, you know, a set of milestones for the remainder of the pregnancy. It was like, right, chemotherapy every three weeks until this date. How do we, how do we, get focused back on the fact that we're a pregnant couple and and that's always the key thing is is you know trying to the i think people take the lead from you if you have an approach people can sometimes draw on that and we took the approach of you know what we're we're pregnant at the end of the day we just happen to have cancer as well um i know that sounds a little bit flippant but um but that is you know literally how we we kind of helped 
to cope with what was unfolded in front mm. of us. And then, you know, we, that's how we sort of proceeded through the, you know, the, the remains of the pregnancy. And then when it came to giving birth and delivering, you know, delivering him, it was almost, it was almost a meditative process for Maya when she actually delivered. She was like so, you know, unnervingly peaceful at times. You know, having seen her give birth to Martha, you know, three years prior, this was like just a, an enjoyable process for her. And I'm using her words, by the way. I would never, ever paraphrase. I know, I know, I know, I know. Enjoyable. But this was, this was her take on it. And then, you know, the, the uh, probably, uh, you know, the next thing was, was actually, you know, telling family, do you know what? He's arrived safe and well. He's a, you know, seven pound healthy baby boy and she's doing great. And then, yeah, literally home. And then six days later, she was back having chemotherapy and absolutely floored. So a similar a similar kind of treatment bridge and, and journey to you know to how what Jenny's just described. Mm. I want to ask you all how what you would say to people who might be going through any one of your experiences, you know, pregnant and that the child is coming at some point, just having had a baby and discovered some kind of lump, pregnant and the diagnosis, the prognosis rather is it is not good. What would you say, Pete, to somebody listening right now? Um, I think to try and try and set a small milestone to look forward to. I think people get sometimes focused on first day at school, first day at university, you know, graduation, first girlfriend, boyfriend, etc. And I think maybe it's in this situation it's easier to say like the first time they crawl, the first time they flip on their back, the first time they actually take a step. And they're they're more manageable and more um, more visible milestones to be able to look forward to and the things to get excited about rather than thinking too far in advance because um, you know it is you know we we all catastrophize in this kind of situation I think whether we're given a, a curative diagnosis or whether we're told at the off that it's already you know a, a cancer has advanced um, you know we all go through that process at some stage or another um, and I'm obviously my viewpoint on this is from one having cared for somebody and looked after somebody with the diagnosis rather than me myself but yeah I think it's, it's set set milestones that you would do as a parent under any normal circumstances if you try and remove the cancer for one moment and think well what do we look forward to when we first got pregnant what what were the things that we were thinking oh I hope I'm there for that point I hope I'm not at work so that I miss out on that first crawl or that first step or those first sounds and it brings it back to the focus being on actually we're parents you know that's all our oldest is about the charity it's we're parents at the end of the day prospective parents or sadly parents who've lost and you know the focus you know is it needs to be on on that you know, deservedly I guess more so in my particular circumstance just really really advocating for yourself like I think I think it's obviously very easy, especially given the situation with COVID, constantly being concerned about going to the hospital, going to the doctor. So many people were, you know, missing screenings and lots of other illnesses, you know, not just with cancer or breast cancer, but it, it was a scary time. And I think that um, we absolutely must uh, respect and understand and and to put a lot of weight on what the medical professionals tell us but we do know our own bodies more than anybody because we're with them every day we notice the changes um, so I think being body aware has been the biggest um, I, I mean I, I feel like I was a little beforehand but but it seems to be even, even more of a change for me now so I think, um, and, and talking about it to people so that they're aware, that's why I was so open about 
um, my circumstance before the surgery because I just thought, well, if I, I can wait till later until I feel ready, you know, after the surgery or after the treatment, but how many people in that space of time could actually go and get themselves checked who may, maybe wouldn't have done and check themselves. And so, so that was important for me to get across and, and make sure that also my family and friends were all um, okay with everything. I was very open and honest about everything. I realized that actually in trying to protect them by not telling them was kind of leaving them in the dark and making them worry unnecessarily and even more. And I think my positivity with it and optimism about the situation helped them deal with it as well. Some of those things I wish I'd kind of done myself at, at, at the time. I've I've still got in my head the milestone of the boys going to school. I, you know, I almost, well, I've recently sort of started seeing beyond that, but in my head, that's just been my goal since I got diagnosed to make it to that that point. And, it, you know, that's put a lot of pressure on me. So I think um, the advice of looking at those small milestones and focusing on the, the normal parts of the pregnancy, I think for me, it was just so isolating um, being diagnosed um, during pregnancy because you went to the um antenatal appointments and I was seen every two weeks this of having a twin pregnancy and you just didn't feel like you fitted in there at all couldn't really relate to you know friends with small children and babies um and and you know kind of baby groups and things like that you went to the the chemo unit and you know you stuck out like a sore thumb there with a huge tummy. <laughs> um, and so you, I, I just felt really alone. And, and um, you know, again, um, on, on the internet in the middle of the, the night, sort of trying to find um, data and, and things, I, I came across um, Mummy's Star, um, which, you know, if, if there are people out there who are not aware of, of Mummy's Star, um, it's a charity that, you know, I honestly don't know where I would be without it. I just think Pete is absolutely amazing for turning his own personal experience into something so positive. And, you know, I can vouch for the, the fact that it has helped, you know, hundreds of, of, of women and, and their, their families. But they have a um, Facebook support group of, of mums, which, you know, you can go on there and you find people that, they are going through something that's really similar to, to you. You know, you can go on there and share the joys of your pregnancy. Um, and in, in the midst of that, the, the kind of unfairness of, of what else you, you're, you're going through. There's, you know, there's such a support. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I think it's, that it, that's my main bit of advice that, you know, you're, you're not alone. This is something that feels really strange and an alien but there are people out there that you can turn to yeah and presumably you can google mummy star which i'm going to do right now and it just comes up does it pete mm -hmm. yeah yeah perfect i'm just doing it to prove it yes it does <laughs> about us personal stories apply for a grant support for me get support shop i want to end by coming back to martha and merlin if i may pete mm -hmm. martha is 13 and uh, just about to turn 13, yeah. And, and Merlin is 10? Uh, just, yeah, just shy of, yeah. Okay. And you said right at the beginning that they're doing really well. Mm -hmm. And that is 
when you think about what your family have experienced. That is remarkable and also a testament to you. How, how have you managed to be the dad that you have been having lost your wife in those circumstances? I think, I think I've trusted instinct a lot of the time, to be honest with you. I think there's, you know, there, there is, there's, there's so much advice and support out there, I think, in terms of grief and bereavement, how to support children. But at the end of the day, you as a parent know how, what your children will and will not respond to, you know, well. Um, and I just, I, I think I've just always trusted my, my instinct with the two of them whenever, you know, whenever the grief has, has you know, come up because, it you know, it's not there on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis in, in your face. But whenever it does come up, we, we openly talk about Maya in the house. You know, she, we'll reflect on things, we'll share funny stories, but equally sometimes sharing a funny story will also bring an awful lot of miss around. Um, but I think the most important thing is that I've, I've, not, I've not allowed my loss and our loss collectively to define how I've parented I've just brought the children up in the same way that I would I I was you know for a long time I was I just saw myself as a single parent I was no different as a dad bringing my children up to say a person who lived around the corner who was a divorcee who was bringing their children up it was we, we all had a grief it's just some griefs are more tangible than others you know at the end of a relationship is a grief and I I, I, I tried sort of creating I think a bit of a level in my mind just to you know, we're just single parents and we're all bumping along. We'll get things wrong. We'll get things right. Um, and, you know, just I've always you know followed through on that. There's times, you know, there's times when on reflection, I haven't done things the way I, I would have done. But over the years, I, I tried drawing on what, what was my like as a parent? What would she have done? And then I've looked and said, right, well, what would I have done? And then I've tried, you know, doing a bit of a combination of, you know, of both at the time. And I've had conversations out loud over the kitchen sink in, in the evening sometimes while saying, well, yeah, it's all right for you, but I'm the one that's got to do it. So I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, it, it, you sound you sound like a mad person, but it's, it was, you know, it was that lovely sort of, you know, connection and trying to think. I, I know she she was, you know, the type of parent that she was. And I've, I've tried instilling parts of that over the years in, you know, in how they've been brought up. And there's, a, there's I certainly, I see a real reflection in in Martha of, you know, of, of, of Maya now, um, you know, not less so than Merlin, but obviously because they're, you know, because they're both female, you yeah. see different mannerisms and things creeping out. They're very, she, she's very much there, in, in, you know, in, in them both. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, it is, it's incredibly comforting to see that growing with them. Mm. Um, I, f- I feel like I really, really want to cry. I just feel like I've got all this emotion in me having listened to all of you and I just need to get it out. I'm not going to do that because I'm a professional. But I want to thank you so much, Pete and Victoria and Jenny. I really, you've been so open um, and so, uh, you know, told us such intimate things. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And it will help so many people. So thank you. And as we've already said, Mummy Star is there on the internet. Just Google them. If you want more information about breast cancer, then please just Google Future Dreams, breast cancer charity. And... we're all on social media and different platforms you can contact any of us I'm sure that's all right to say that for you Victoria um, and uh, Pete and Jenny and yeah thank you so much all of you thank you you. thank you lovely to meet you both you too you too thank you thank you so much and this has been a factory original and six foot six production thank you for listening Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. 
If you would like to help us do more, please text WeCare to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care no info. Thank you again for listening.